You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Well, that was wonderful. Amen. That was wonderful. Praise the Lord. I love uh, hearing you guys worship and worshiping with you. It's just a beautiful thing. Did you ever go to one of those churches where like, everybody's like, just like barely mouthing the words? It's like, you even, ca- I mean, we're singing about the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we're like, precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were like too embarrassed, right? Not here though, right? Wonderful worshiping with you guys. Uh, well, good morning to you. Um, I hope you're doing well. Uh, before we do get started, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Um, but I did just want to reiterate uh, uh, the announcement about uh, Wednesday evenings at, at from 6.30 to 8. We're going to hopefully start that. October 5th, the Apologetics Night, and, and that's going to be a night for the, the entire family. So uh, no matter the age, uh, we will have um, a focus of, of Scripture and Apologetics for the kids as well, and we'll have nursery, and we'll have, um, we'll have a time for where the adults can come together and, and learn Apologetics as well. Uh, we're also hoping to really grow our, our student ministry and some of the older students um, out of this. So if you know any older students, then, then get, get them here. We would love to have them uh, for that service as well. Uh, but that will be coming up in October. I do want to, again, just reiterate, if you, if you are able uh, and want to help in any way with the kids portion of that, uh, please come to the meeting today, uh, 1 o'clock or, or 1.30? 1 o'clock um, right here um, Please be there. If you can't be there, please let Paula know that you are interested um, in helping, but you just couldn't make it today. Uh, the more help, you know, the less the less one person has to carry kind of that whole burden. So um, we'd love for you to be there uh, this afternoon. But this is something that, that Stephen and I, Stephen and I, have been p- praying about for a long time. Uh, this new service, I'm very excited about it. Uh, really excited to launch this in October. So. Um, I hope you'll look forward to that with me. Uh, with that being said, uh, if you are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning, uh, we want to talk about uh, living with the end in mind. Living with the end in mind, uh, which will be our title this morning. And so when you get there, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read uh, the first 12 verses here in chapter 9. It says, For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, 
which He has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity. For that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church body. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful worship we've already had this morning <clears throat> through song. And uh, what a time of, of fellowship it's been already. And uh, we just give you praise for that, Lord. Now as we open your word, uh, God, just teach us. Please move me out of the way. Please speak to your people, your words. And don't let anything distract from your words this morning, Father. Um, help us to learn how to live uh, knowing that, that uh, the end is coming. The end is coming for each one of us, Father. So I just pray that you would help us this morning to learn how to live in light of that. And we pray that you would get all glory and honor and praise this morning. And that this service would be pleasing to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> All right. Well, if you were here last week, uh, you might remember that in chapter 8, uh, Kohelet, who is our narrator here, the, the teacher, or also Solomon, we've kind of used those words interchangeably uh, throughout Ecclesiastes. But he walked us through the God-honoring response for us in regards to uh, living under the authorities in our lives, living under uh, earthly authority. And, and we ended our time together uh, last week talking about not just living under earthly authority, but under God's authority as well, who is the Lord over all earthly authority. And as Solomon, uh, the teacher here, walked us through that, he started considering God's authority and, and how sometimes... From our human perspective, God's authority seems unfair. It seems unfair to us. And that's again how he starts this passage in, in chapter 9. As we talk about living with the end in mind, uh, Solomon first is going to set this up for a little bit. Uh, and he's going to set this up first with our, our first point. Talking about our unpredictable existence. Unpredictable existence. Um, in verse 1, Solomon says that, that he considered all this in his heart so that he could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all, he says. As Solomon is, is continuing this idea that life is totally unpredictable and seems unfair at times. He says essentially that everything and everyone is, is, is simply in God's hands. He has a high view, as we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes, really. He has a high view of God's sovereignty, that all things are in God's hands. Um, and that should be comforting to us as believers. Is that comforting to you as a believer this morning? That all things are in God's hands. Hopefully that's comforting to you. Everything is under God's control. But then he says that, that you can't tell anything about how God feels about you based on the circumstances that you see in front of you. He, he uses uh, very strong language here in English uh, that says you can't know whether God loves you or hates you by your circumstances. All things come alike to all, he says. Now, now, because of uh, our English language being less, less descriptive, uh, sometimes the, word, the words love and, and hate aren't, aren't maybe the best words to use in these scenarios. And they actually refer to more to, to favored and unfavored. 
Those words really speak of, of, of preference, not, uh, not, not at the extremes of love and hate that we often uh, think about. We see this in the New Testament as well. In, in Romans 9, Paul says about God's preference for Israel. He says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. He doesn't mean that God actually hated Esau, but rather that he chose Jacob. Jesus uses this, this same type of language to speak of our love for him in Luke 14 verse 26 he says if anyone doesn't hate his father and his mother and he goes on from there he cannot be my disciple now, now he doesn't mean literally that we are supposed to hate our families right but rather that Jesus is supreme Jesus is first he demands that Jesus is Lord above all others in our lives well, Solomon is saying here that, that one cannot tell whether God favors him or, or doesn't favor him based on the circumstances in his life because circumstances are often very confusing in this life and, and unpredictable. Sometimes uh, great things happen uh, to terrible sinners, right? Have you guys seen that? Uh, and sometimes terrible things happen uh, to, to some seemingly good, uh, sweet people, right? And we hate that, and, and our heart mourns over that. We cannot guarantee God's favor and, and physical blessing by being more righteous in our own ability than, than everyone else. There is none righteous on this earth. Jesus uses a similar language to this in, in Matthew 5. And in verse 45 there, um, he says that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, good and bad things happen to both, the righteous and the unrighteous. And there's no promise of earthly physical blessing for those who love Christ. If we skip down to verse 11 here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, the point is made again. He says, I returned and saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance, or time and circumstance, yours, is my, yours might say, happen to them all. <clears throat> See, all of these attributes have an expected outcome. We would expect that uh, the fastest is going to win the race, right? And we would expect that the strongest is going to win the battle. We'd, we'd expect that the more wise, the, the more that you know, the more skills that you have, the more successful you're going to be. But in reality, that's just not always the case in life, is it? That's just not always what we see. And at times, that can be really, really frustrating uh, to us. We see the person who, who cheated his way up the ladder get our dream job, right? And, and we, we hate that. We think that's, the way that, that's not the way that, that things are supposed to happen. And we see cases where the sinner gets away with, with great sin while the innocent is left with, with great heartbreak. It doesn't make sense to us. And Solomon has talked about uh, this injustice throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. It, it was obviously something that, that really bothered him, and, and it bothers us as well. The seeming injustice in our society. You can't predict who this life is going to go well for and who is going to, to suffer great things. And last week we started to answer that problem with talking about God's ways and, and how they are unknowable but how he is wiser than, than we are. He is much wiser than we are. We talked about how his judgment is, is sure and his judgment is perfect, but it might not be on our time. And we talked about his grace, which comforts us. Again, this is a review from last week, but his grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is sufficient for us. But still, as we continue with this idea, we also need to know just how we're supposed to live in this life of, of injustice. And that's where we're going today. So we see, first of all, this unpredictable existence. And we also see here 
the unavoidable ending. And that's our second point. And here Solomon goes further with his point of, of injustice and, and turns his attention now back to the unavoidable ending for each and every one of us, um, which is death, right? All of us in this room, we are going to experience uh, death, the end of this life. And, you know, this is not the first, uh, second, or, or fifth time that, that, that we've talked about this reality of the certainty of death in this series, is it? We, we talked about this a lot in Ecclesiastes. It's been a, a major theme throughout. At this point, Solomon seems to quite literally be beating a dead horse, right? Yeah, thank you for laughing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's talked about this several times already. In fact, when I'm, when I'm preparing for this sermon, I'm thinking, Solomon, haven't we been through all of this already? Haven't we already been through everything that's in this passage a couple of times over uh, in Ecclesiastes? <clears throat> but then I got to thinking, um, and let me talk to the married men in this room for a second. How many times does your wife have to tell you something before it gets through in, in your thick skull. Uh, just once for Heath. The rest of us humans, though. The rest of us humans. I mean, this is Heath we're talking about. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, sometimes it takes a minute, right? It takes a few repetitions uh, from our wives. At least that's what my wife tells me. Um, <clears throat> we need repetition. Right, oh, and, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I can tend to be the same way with God. Um, we need him to remind us again and again uh, of the gospel. We need him to remind us again and again of what really matters <clears throat> in this life. And the re reminder here is very simple. We are all going to die. Uh, maybe a morbid thought for you this morning, but get used to it. You are going to die. We are all going to die. In verse 2, uh, the teacher says that, that one event happens to the righteous and the wicked. The good, the clean, and the unclean. <clears throat> the one who sacrifices in the temple, and the one who, who never goes to the temple. It happens uh, with the good and with the sinner. It's the same for, for those who, who make oaths to God and, and, those, and keep them and those who make no oaths. There's an evil that always happens in this life under the sun every time on this earth. Humans die. We have this reality that we must face. Whether we live a life that's, that's pleasing to God or, or whether we don't care at all about God, there is one thing that is certain we will die. This life will end and we really have no idea when it's going to end, how it's going to end, and we really have no control over it. Well, if you're a control freak this morning, death is tough for you, yeah? I can't control that. Maybe it's freeing for you. Um, it's something we can't, we have no control over. And, and back in, in chapters 3 and 4, uh, Patrick did a wonderful job of explaining why it is that we all do die. Why is it that we have death? Remember, God did not create a world with death. He didn't create a world with death. You see, humans were never intended to suffer through loss and, and mortality. It was not until man sinned that death entered in, right? We see that explained in, in Romans 5, uh, verse 12. It says, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. Every single one of us. See, because of Adam's Sin, spiritual separation from God was immediate. It was immediate in the garden. Immediately, they realized that they were naked before Him. And we now all have this inward tendency towards sin because that perfect fellowship with God was broken when man sinned. 
Spiritual separation was immediate and, and physical death became inevitable for all of us. They didn't immediately die in the garden, but physical death became something they were absolutely going to have to experience. And it spread to all of us. Romans 3 tells us the wages of sin is what? Death. Thank God that verse doesn't end there. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so death is an absolute certainty. In fact, it's about the only thing in life that is certain. And so back here in Ecclesiastes, verse 3 says that the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. In other words, in, in response to this universal problem of death, well, most men just chase after evil. Sin after sin, pleasure after pleasure, trying to spend their time on this earth fulfilling every desire that they have. It sounds a lot like Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We, we squander the time we do have. We squander it away by chasing after things that won't fulfill. Uh, things that won't fix our problem of death. Many of us try to distract ourselves with, with, with mindless uh, video games or TV shows or, or, or sports or uh, social media scrolling or all kinds of, of mindless activity just so we don't have to think about the fact that, that we are going to die. And then we do die, as verse 3 says. Our hearts are, are continually set on evil all of our lives, and then we die. That's what Solomon says. And as we've talked about before, we, we've become so good as a society at distracting ourselves from our certain fate, from, from thinking about difficult things. We've become so good at distractions. That's not a compliment. You know, it's so difficult out there in this world to just get a person to sit and think for a moment. We always want to be distracted. But, but if we're honest, it's so difficult sometimes for us, even as believers, to, to slow ourselves down enough to really think for a moment about what really matters. We all tend to worship this, this God of distraction and, and busyness and constant entertainment if we're not careful. Do you feel that in yourself this morning? I know we've talked about this several times. And do you feel that tendency to, to want to remain distracted? To want to remain entertained? Verse 12 graphically adds to this idea of death. It says that, that man also does not know his time. We don't know when we'll die. It could happen any moment. It could be right after the service. Who knows? Who knows when it's going to be? It's so unpredictable, but it is certain that it's going to happen. As Solomon says it's like a fish taken into a cruel net or a bird caught in a snare. You see, it falls suddenly Upon us. The fish doesn't realize when he's about to swim into the net. Right? He has no idea. Takes him by surprise. The bird doesn't intend on getting himself trapped. It's so unexpected. And that's the way death is. It snaps on us all. Even when it's expected, we're not ready for it. Even when we expect a family member to go, it doesn't make it any easier sometimes, does it? Death just seems so cruel. And it is. The only thing for certain in this life under the sun is that it's coming and we're closer now than we were when the service started. 
or closer to death. And so what is the remedy? How do we live life understanding that that death is coming? How do we live with the end in mind? And that's where our final point comes in this morning. And we'll spend the bulk of our time with this final point. Um, Unexpected exhortation. Unexpected exhortation. We might expect that because of what Solomon has said so far, that he might say that well, it's better if you just get, get it over with. It's better if death just, just comes on and you just get it over with. Or, or maybe, as he did in a previous chapter, uh, that it's better if we were just never born. But that's not what we get here in chapter 9. Or rather, in verse 4, he says that it's better for him who is alive than him who is dead. Because for the man who is alive, at least there is hope. Now, that's not a word that, that I'm not sure we've seen that word in Ecclesiastes so far. Uh, that's not a word that Solomon has used much um, in his writings. And, and it's, it's, it's refreshing, right? We, we like that word. There's a death, not such a good word. Hope, great word, right? Good choice of words. Um, we love that word, hope. But then he kind of uh, kills the mood by saying, a living dog is better than a dead lion. He's trying to be hopeful, I think, but, but he compares the living to a dog, which is not a compliment, by the way. Now, I know in, in 2022... America, where we seem to worship dogs at times, uh, this may seem like a compliment. Uh, but, but in the ancient world, dogs were, were scavengers. They weren't these domesticated house pets. We're not talking about a uh, precious little princess at home. Right? He's painting a picture of a, of a poor, suffering, gross, scavenger dog who roams the streets and eats whatever he can find. And he's comparing living to that. (laughs) But he says that even if life is difficult, even if you are a quote-unquote dog in this life, treated like one, living is still better than death. Because there's hope. And the hope is in verse 5. The living know that they will die. See, being alive today, you know that you're going to die. And that should change the way you live. But the dead, they know nothing. And this is not taking into account our eternal life after this. This is just saying uh, from an under-the-sun perspective, the the dead, they're they're done on this life. And they don't think anything anymore like that. They're not here and they have no more reward. And the memory of them is forgotten. He says their love, their hatred, their envy are now dead with them. All of their strongest emotions are gone with them. But the living, well, we still have an opportunity. The living have hope. And we'll get to the ultimate hope in a little bit. But first, he gives us some encouragement for living now in light of all this. Knowing that we will face death, how should we live? And we might expect a different answer than what he gives us here. As Christians, I think sometimes we get these strange ideas about God and what he wants for our lives. And I think we think that, that he wants us to, knowing that death and judgment are coming, that he wants us to just uh, dress in black and, and, and be very serious all the time and try to avoid anything fun. Uh, maybe some of you even grew up in, in a church where it was, if it was fun, if it was pleasurable, then it must be sin. Right? Anybody, anybody grow up like that? If, it, if, it was, if, if you enjoyed that, then hey, there must have been something wrong with it. You need to repent. And of course, that's part of where the world gets this idea that Christians 
are just a bunch of fun suckers, right, who sit in a room and sing worship songs all day and read our Bibles and pray, and we never allow a smile to enter our faces, right? And, and we might think, um, we might think that, that Solomon is going to say, well, because you're going to die, uh, you should live in a monastery, you should never marry, you should make sure that you, you never have nice things, Make yourself suffer. Make sure all your food is bland. All these do's and don'ts. Because God is holy and, and you are not holy. And don't get me wrong, God is holy. Amen? He is thrice holy. He is holier than we can even imagine. And the beginning of understanding the gospel is understanding that God is perfect in holiness. And He is so set apart from you and I, that we have no business being in His presence. We have no business being in His presence as sinful humans. That is true. And that's what makes His leaving heaven and coming to die for us sinners so amazing. Amen? Because yes, He is holy. But what we find here is not a list of, of, of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules. Rather, we find a, a list that, that sounds actually like a lot of fun. It sounds like fun. We, we find a, a list of enjoyable things to do with our time. Because we are going to face death. Because good and suffering come to all despite our righteousness. Because of these things... Here are some things that God wants us to do. And he says first, first he says go. Go, two-letter word. In other words, we don't have to sit around and mope about how life is, is unfair and, and how death is coming. We don't have to sit in silence making sure to avoid everything that might bring us pleasure. We are to go, to, to get out there, to live one of the commentaries uh, that I was reading said about the way we tend to live, that we tend to live as if the one certain thing in this life, which is death, is never going to happen to us. All right, that, uh, death is never going to happen. Yet we turn around and live as though all the uncertain things in our lives, our health, our families, our jobs, our time, well, that's all just going to last forever. I've got all the time in the world with them. Is that not how you live? Is that not our tendency? We distract ourselves from our certain destiny. <clears throat> and then we think we've got all the time in the world to enjoy all the uncertain things. Oh, I'll have time to, to spend with the kids tomorrow. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go to bed angry tonight and we'll, we'll just fix that tomorrow. I'll forgive that person another day. I'm just not ready today. I've got time to get right with the Lord. <clears throat> we forget how quickly death can snap on us. We forget that, that life is a vapor <clears throat> and our plans may just never get accomplished. So he first says, go. Get out there. Live. Then he says to eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. <clears throat> Enjoy good food and drink. Is that not what he says? Enjoy good food and drink. Use a good meal to, to fellowship with the ones that you love. To get to know people that you don't know. Use food and drink as a means to, to start uh, meaningful conversations about Christ. See, food and drink are, are gifts from God to be enjoyed in moderation, of course, with other individuals for the glory of God. It's okay sometimes to go out and eat something nice. You don't have to deprive yourself of every joy. You don't have to live on, on bread and water. 
unless it's what your budget requires. And sometimes we're in that state of life, right? But enjoy some, some good food and drink. It's a gift. <clears throat> One of my favorite things is sitting around the dinner table with, with my wife and my children and, and eating my wife's amazing cooking and, and fellowshipping and, and joking around and, and enjoying my family. You know, just enjoying them. And then, and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll read Scripture together and we'll, we'll talk about how our days were. We'll take turns sharing what we're thankful for. We'll use that opportunity to give thanks to the Lord. It's a gift to be enjoyed, to point to our Creator. I love having friends over for supper or for lunch to, to, to talk through life and, and just laugh together. Some of us need to laugh. Right? Just laugh. I love having friends to live life with and, and laugh together with and just enjoy one another's company in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Sharpening each other's spiritual walk. He says, eat and drink with a merry heart. That's what he commands us this morning. Then he says, so let your garments always be white. Even after Labor Day. That's what he says. Let them always be white. And let your head lack no oil. Now, these are cultural things from, from Solomon's day. Um, but the idea is, is to contrast with, with clothes of mourning and, and sadness. Which would have been sackcloth. And ashes. That's what they would have dressed in when they were in a period of, of mourning in their life or repentance in their life. Sackcloth and ashes they would put on. This is to contrast with that. He says, instead, wear garments of rejoicing. Put on some good smelling oil. Get dressed up. Enjoy yourself. Make every day a festive occasion. Because you may not have tomorrow. Make every day special. Approach the day with joy. Paul tells us in Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, again, I say rejoice. When, when we are in Christ, there is much to enjoy. Even in the here and now. Even when, when everything's not going our way. Remember the joy that we have in who Christ is and what He's done for us. He says in verse 9 to, to live joyfully or, or to enjoy the wife whom you love. And we all, we all say, oh, that's so sweet, Solomon. That's so sweet. And then he kind of ruins it by, by saying, the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all the days of vanity, says it twice, just to make sure you remember that your life is meaningless, right? <clears throat> he has to throw that in twice to let us know that under the sun it's vanity. Without a different perspective, it is vanity. But in Christ, it's not vanity. It's not meaningless. In Christ, you, you can really enjoy your spouse and use marriage for its intended incredible purpose. I remember, God created marriage in the garden before sin showed up so that man would have a helpmate, a companion to do his work with. The proverb says that, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, a treasure. Marriage is beautiful. Solomon says to enjoy your wife, not, not put up with your wife, not, not tolerate your wife, but enjoy her. 
or for ladies, enjoy him, your husband. And marriage is, is such a wonderful gift from our Creator. I, I can't believe how wonderful it is. Uh, sometimes, as Melissa and I talk about that often, like how wonderful this is. What a joy. Uh, treat your spouse as your best friend, your companion, your, your co-worker for all that you're doing in Christ. For His glory. There's no time to, to stay mad at each other and, and to lose focus of your mission together in Christ. Enjoy your wife. Get to know her. Pursue her. Enjoy each other physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's a beautiful thing. Don't forsake it. Married people, don't forsake it. Our family recently had to say goodbye to, to our Nana, my grandmother, and I had to watch my grandfather say goodbye to his wife, um, which was hard for the last time here on earth. And, and though that was very difficult for all of us, it was such a testament to, to see him uh, kiss her goodbye and then to, just to light up and, and telling about... Uh, the story of when they first met 63 years ago and, and almost immediately got married and, and just the, the joy in his face as he talked about her and the life that they lived together for 63 years. It was so wonderful to see the joy in his voice after all those years. He spent his life enjoying his wife. She was his best friend. And, and that's the picture here. Enjoy the spouse he's blessed you with. Marriage is a gift to be treasured and cherished. So be intentional with your time together. Go have fun with each other. Right? You got to talk about bills and finances and uh, kids and things, but... Enjoy each other. Don't miss. <clears throat> don't, don't miss that time together. Be intentional about it and make Christ the center of it. You can also extrapolate this verse, because this is not an exhaustive list here. You can extrapolate this verse for those who may be single. <clears throat> well, and you have family. Enjoy your family. You have friends. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your church family. <clears throat> Enjoy people. And, you know, a Christian's motto should never be, I hate people. But how many times is it? Pretty sure I've said that too. And that's crazy. And that's not, thank God that's not Jesus' motto. No, love the people in your life. Enjoy them. Enjoy this church family. Enjoy people as a gift from God. God made us to be in community. So be in community. Be vulnerable with God's people as we live this life together. Don't live isolated. Enjoy others. And don't waste your time being envious and constantly getting offended by someone. Those feelings, Solomon says, those feelings are just going to die in the grave with you. So what good is it? Stop wasting your time with that. Rather, enjoy the people that God has placed into your life the way that God intended. It's beautiful advice here, really. Verse 10 says that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge in the grave where you're going. Again, that's not a statement on what heaven is going to be like, but rather a statement on the little time we have here to work. Again, work is a good thing, right? Work was created in the garden before sin. It just got really hard after sin. 
He says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Your job, your hobbies, whatever you do, do it your best unto the Lord. Enjoy what you work at as another gift from God. And again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list of things. But it is meant to have us take a step back and and look at the details of our lives as gifts from God and understand that He wants you to have enjoyment here. He wants that for you. We skipped over one statement back in verse 7. And it says this, For God has already accepted your work. In other words, God has approved your enjoyment. You know that? He he wants you to rejoice, to have fun, to enjoy. He wants you to be merry. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. You know, I'm 33 years old, but my mom, still every single Christmas, uh, has a stocking for me on, on Christmas morning, right? Uh, she still asks me every every Christmas what I want, and now what uh, Melissa wants as well, and and spends excessive time and money uh, to to make sure she gets those things and and wraps it up, and uh, you know now of course she's included my wife and my my children, of course in that too, and I, I tell her mom you don't need to do all that, and she replies well that that brings me joy, that's what brings me the joy at Christmas. It's seeing me enjoy something that she gives me. And she wraps it up really nice. She just wants me to have something to open. While the kids are opening stuff, I'm like, Mom, I'm 33. I get, I'll, I'll get over it. <laughs> but you know, that is a loving mother, isn't it? Uh, she is a loving, loving mother. And that's really the picture that Scripture paints of our God as well. You know, He is a loving Father. He loves to bring us joy. The Christian life is a fun life. Amen? I I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Now, we enjoy without sin, right? We enjoy without sinning. But we enjoy don't forget to enjoy, right? That is the picture that Scripture paints of our good, good Father. It is worship for us to take the things He's given us, put them in proper perspective, enjoy them, and rejoice in Him for giving them. Think about what God created in the garden of Eden, he made a huge garden with elaborate landscape and and all the plants and animals and and, and streams and and lots of acreage, right? And and all the food they could ever want. And he even gave Adam a a woman to, to share it all with, another one who could walk with him. A perfect place for Adam and Eve to work and to enjoy Fellowship with God. Boy, God pampered them in that garden, didn't He? Don't blow that off. He made a garden of absolute joy for His people. He took pleasure in making life pleasurable for them. But it was sin that fractured that. It wasn't God that fractured that. It was Sin that fractured that. And sin fractures everything. It is because of sin that that we have such injustice in this world to begin with. It is because of sin that we, we, we all must die to begin with. And it's because of sin that instead of enjoying God's precious gifts to us and letting them remind us of what's coming, the joy that's coming, which is so much better, we often end up abusing those things or forsaking those things or worshiping those things 
as an end in themselves. All these things Solomon lists are, are wonderful things when they're not made into gods. But when they are, they bring with them death as well. Death to the joy that, that God intended for us. But Jesus came so that He could put an end to death. Amen? And He could redeem this creation for Himself. He, he became sin in order to put sin to death. He'll get rid of our problem someday. Completely. And then He triumphed over death when He rose from the grave. And someday, as, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, He will put an end even to death itself. He will kill death. And we will have eternal life in a totally restored creation filled with much joy and pleasure. Boy, don't be thinking... The heaven's not going to have much joy and pleasure. Oh, yes, it is. More than we could ever imagine. But most importantly, it's a place where we can stand in His presence. Eating and drinking with Him. With no sin to taint the experience. Oh, what a day. That is going to be Isaiah 25 verses 6 through 8. Give us a glimpse of what that day will look like. It says this in this mountain. The Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees of fat things full of marrow. I like that of well refined wines on the lees and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all the people. And the veil that is spread over all nations. Here's what that is. He will swallow up death forever. Amen. And the Lord will wipe away tears. From all faces. The rebuke of his people. He will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. This will happen. This is our future as believers. You know why we enjoy eating and drinking and fellowshipping and, and family and celebrating so much and why He commands us to enjoy these things? Because they give us a little taste. They give us a little taste of what it's going to be like with Him someday in paradise. We will eat and drink and fellowship with the body of Christ from all ages. And even greater with Christ Himself. And you know, we will eternally see with our own eyes those nail-scarred hands that defeated death for us. And we'll know what the whole place is about. We'll know what the whole thing was about at that point, more than we even do now as Christians. But man, it will be a place of joy, happiness, and being with our Savior forever. So He says... Enjoy these gifts now. Enjoy your life. The purpose of these things it was enjoyment before sin entered in and tainted it. So enjoy. And know that He has joy in your enjoyment. He's a good, good, loving Father. Find something this morning to enjoy, to give Him praise for. Go out of here and enjoy a good meal. Enjoy friends, family. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your church family. Celebrate. Make today a festive occasion because we have a Savior who has defeated death for us. Amen? We have joy abounding. And He calls us to have abundant life. 
in heaven someday with him, of course, but even here on this earth right now, have abundant life. Have life and have it to the fullest. Now, outside of Christ, none of that is possible. It's just not possible. There is no true enjoyment because at the end of the day, you are left with no hope, with no eternity with God to look forward to. Everything you do is tainted by the sin that is, is not covered. This life in itself is broken. And its joys can only take you so far. Because the finality of death is staring you in the face. Waiting on you. And it's coming. But that doesn't have to be you this morning. As Solomon says, today, if you're alive, there is still hope. There is still hope because you're alive. You're here right now. In this moment, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when, when you can stop trying to distract yourself from the inevitable. You can stop trying to make gods out of all of these gifts that God has given to you. And find that it just keeps coming up short. And find that you keep resenting those gifts. Because you're not putting them in the proper place. And today you can surrender to Christ and you can find true life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. You can find a true place for the joys of life. They're meant to be a glimpse of an eternity with Him. If you need to do that this morning, if you need to come to Christ this morning, surrender to Him, then you do that by repentance of your sin. Repentance of your sin. I'm walking towards sin. I'm walking towards my desires. I'm walking towards me and the worship of me. And I'm saying, Lord, help me. Forgive me. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk towards You. That is repentance. And you make Him Lord of your life. If you need to do that this morning, you do that. Don't wait. You may not have the next few moments. Turn from your sin. It is sin that has ushered in death for all. And all of us have sinned. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is that where sin abounded, His grace has much more abounded. And we can be forgiven in Him. The One who will put an end to death. Because He's paid for our debt on the cross. Praise the Lord. Oh, I hope that brings you joy this morning. If you don't know Him, I hope, that, I hope that you want to know Him this morning. I pray that, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that right now you would repent of sin and surrender to Him. And boy, if you do know Him, I hope you're rejoicing in your heart right now. For believers this morning, put a smile on your face. Verse 8 in this passage talked about letting your garments always be white. Well, in Scripture, believers are often depicted as those in white robes. Because in Christ, we have been made perfect before the Father. Praise the Lord. Death on this earth is coming. Let's see, in Jesus, death has lost it's sting. We are covered in white by the blood of Jesus. Praise God for that. That is something to rejoice about. As we sing this 
uh, last song, let's rejoice together as a church family. Regardless of where life may have you today, not being a tough season of life, and our hearts go out to you, and we love you, and, and, and we, we're with you in this. But remember the joy of Christ as well. Remember the joy of your salvation. Let's all go, go out of here this morning and enjoy ourselves. Love others well. Knowing what Christ has done. And let's go tell others of His marvelous grace. I'm going to give you a few moments uh, to spend in prayer, whatever you need to be doing. Maybe this is a time of just rejoicing for you, then rejoice. Maybe it's a time of repentance, then repent. Maybe it's a time where you want to grab somebody to pray with. I'll be in the back. If you want to pray with me, I'll be glad to. You want to grab somebody else, then grab somebody else and pray with them. If you want to come to the front and pray, you're welcome to do that. Whatever you need to do, uh, this is your time before the Lord. And then in a few moments, we're going to rejoice uh, with our last song. Um, yeah, let's just, let's just rejoice together this morning.